Hello, hello, good morning. In this episode, I talk to Martin Jarrett. Welcome to the Flutter 101 podcast, a weekly podcast focusing on Flutter and Dart. My name is Vince Varga and welcome to the show. Please keep in mind that this episode was recorded on the 20th of January, 2021. Visit the links in the episode description for the latest news about CodeMagic. CodeMagic is a very popular CI-CD solution amongst Flutter developers with which you can build, test and deliver your mobile apps. In this episode, I talk to Martin Jarrett from CodeMagic. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Vince. Thank you for uh, inviting me. It's, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank, thank you for joining. I really appreciate that you uh, accepted uh, the request. Uh, that's very nice of you. Um, in this episode, uh, I wanted to talk to you about the uh, sort of like your personal history and uh, also about CodeMagic, CodeMagic features, uh, a couple of technical questions and pricing. Mm -hmm. um, so could you please introduce yourself first? Sure. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Martin. Uh, like Vince said, I'm CEO at CodeMagic. Um, before CodeMagic, I used to um, have a different role. Uh, instead of CEO, I used to be involved with the product and also uh, part of the business development. And before joining the company, uh, then I worked in consulting business uh, and helping startups. And before that, I did my own startup, which failed. And uh, in university, I was studying uh, to become a chemist. Uh, what did you do at your startup? It was a it was a really bad idea, but uh, we tried to make an app for backpackers. I was living in Singapore for some time, and I was traveling around. So I thought that uh, wouldn't it be cool if I could see where my friends are traveling in some kind of a map, so that if we have similar plans, I get a notification about it. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that idea didn't uh, take off that well. Okay. And did you work on the mobile app or server or so what did you do? Um, I was mostly working on uh, recruiting, for example. Uh, so trying to get the developers to join uh, without uh, salary. So just when you're in university and you just try to find some people to work on a project together. And then... Uh, also, mostly about marketing and sales uh, and pro product. I didn't do uh, development myself. And how did you join uh, CodeMagic? It kind of ties together with that because um, when I started with this uh, startup path, then I knew nothing about it. And I tried asking friends for advice. And I met with um, Christian who was the uh, CTO at the time uh, in uh, Nevercode. And a uh, couple of years later, after the startup failed and I was working in uh, Ernst & Young, then um, I met with Christian. And uh, Christian called me one day and said, uh, you know, Martin, uh, you should uh, join uh, Nevercode. We need a guy like you. And so we met up and I joined. So how did you become CEO in the end? Uh... What was your first role and then how how did it change over time? So when I joined, the first role was a business development manager. And what this means is that I had to figure out the way 
how we can grow uh, Code Magic's customers and uh, start potentially making some money. What I focused on was building good relationships with this Flutter community and uh, how we can support it. Because I had this feeling that if we do good to the community, then the community will do good back. So I did that for about uh, nine months and I met with all these awesome people uh, in the Flutter community. Uh, which I'm really grateful for. So I used to say that my job was to travel around the world and have fun. Um, and that was really cool. Uh, afterwards, when I become familiar with the, the community and what the, some businesses that are involved with Flutter do, then um, I transitioned to more, a bit more into this uh, product role and uh, trying to come up with a pricing model uh, that is unique to us and that uh, our customers want and also focus on some of the features uh, that uh, our customers uh, would actually benefit from uh, so kind of leading this product and then uh, how did I become CEO from that uh, Trine who was the CEO at the time she had been doing this job for five years at one point she comes to me and says uh, Martin uh, I want you to be CEO. And uh, I, I was shocked. At first, I thought I was going to get fired. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but uh, she, she said, you want to be CEO. And uh, uh, we're a small team, uh, for context. And um, I thought about it. Uh, and I said, yes. This was uh, because Trin saw that, uh, I guess, what she saw was that I... I'm really passionate about what we do and um, she was looking uh, to uh, leave, leave the company it was like a good transition in that sense yeah that sounds awesome i also wanted to ask because i, I saw a blog post blog post on your site that never code is transitioning to code magic and before like in the early days of code magic i always saw that okay code magic is by never code could you tell the uh, like the early days of Code Magic and how Code Magic was created and what's never code and mm-hmm. um, the future of the Code Magic uh, brand, uh, basically. Yeah. Um, so never code used to be called uh, Greenhouse as well, uh, which is a different uh, name. We we have had many different na- names, I guess. It all started in a development uh, company uh, in uh, Estonia uh, where we built. Uh, mobile applications and uh, this is before I I was in the company and um, this development company was using um, some self-hosted servers and uh, Jenkins uh, to orchestrate some things but it was quite difficult to use. The emulators were not working, the hosts were sometimes unavailable, dealing with code signing for iOS was a nightmare and uh, automating app store releases was also difficult, what uh, the company did was have some internal hackathon. They made some uh, really nice tools, uh, which was this um, inception of uh, Nevercode or Greenhouse at the time. And a um, couple of months later, they polished the product off and uh, started selling it to the customers. And people liked it. It was called Greenhouse, later rebranded to Nevercode because... Greenhouse is this HR company as well. 
So we got uh, copyright or trademark uh, infringement um, and we had, had to change our name. And uh, Nevercode until 2018 had never heard about Flutter. And um, in DroidCon Berlin, I think it was 2018, we first heard about it and uh, we were quite excited because uh, I remember uh, the developers told me that um, when they saw it and they they played around with it a bit, uh, they uh, they got addicted a little bit, like this new toy that you get. And uh, we made some uh, first prototype of a integration that just allows you to run your uh, build some binaries on Nevercode product. And uh, we reached out to the Flutter team about it. And uh, after founders at the time, which were Trine and Christian, uh, met with uh, the Flutter team, we, they decided to build a new product, a new CI/CD product designed specifically for Flutter. This is when Code Magic launched, and so the timeline was roughly two to three months from, okay, we're going to build a new product and it's going to be Code Magic. Wow. Okay. You were uh, never Code was a mobile development agency, and then you switched like the entire team to working on Code Magic. Is that? Correct, or do you still have the agency part independently? Yeah, so the we were part of an agency. The agency was uh, bigger, uh, and the ah, okay, okay. small part of the agency just did a spin-off, and um, this is what was uh, never code. Ah, okay, okay. And then you so so what is Code Magic basically? This is uh, like a you worked together with uh, the Flutter team and you launched a CI-CD solution focusing on Flutter in the beginning, right? Yes, and this was launched at the same time when Flutter uh, 1.0 was released, so when Flutter became stable. So, yeah, Co-Code Magic, like you said, it was originally uh, CI-CD dedicated only for Flutter. Why is this important? Because Flutter was evolving very fast. Flutter developers were not just the mobile developers. They, some of them also come from this web background. Uh, so what we saw was that they compared to our Nevercode product, CodeMagic product, that we can take all our knowledge that we learned how uh, mobile developers or mobile CI/CD uh, should look like and start from scratch, build a new product. To have this support from Google was uh, super important and we're super grateful for it. And uh, we were really, really lucky to have been so well received by the community, even though it was such an early product uh, when it was released. But it uh, did its job. It, uh, it solved an important problem. Yeah, I actually also used uh, CodeMagic and I really liked it. And I can also totally agree. So I, I have a, a web development background. So I worked on backend and frontend as well. And for me, coming to mobile development, it's so complicated because I, I need to manage uh, code signing, publishing, building for different platforms. So it's quite nice to have Code Magic to help with all of that setup because otherwise I would I don't I I don't know how much I would need to spend on CI/CD. It's very nice to have that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I wanted to talk more about. So what's the typical workflow for uh, developers? Uh, so what's the typical mobile um, CI, CD workflow? 
It's a it's a good question. Um, I gave some talks about this as well. Uh, that uh, when you talk about uh, CI/CD, then it's kind of like this uh, buzzword these days. You maybe read some blog post or an article somewhere and discover that uh, you know everything you're doing is wrong. This is not what the typical CI/CD workflow should look like. I have to redesign everything. It, it may be the case that people do make mistakes, but not, not necessarily. The whole point of this CI/CD is to give you, like for continuous integration at least, is to give you actionable feedback so that you don't integrate uh, code that ha can have breaking changes and also that you integrate code uh, repeatedly. Um, and this distribution uh, is a cycle on top of that. So once you have your next release candidate uh, ready, then when you push to master, for example, uh, or make some uh, other Git event that you use for release, then continuous distribution takes care of uh, building the binary and also uh, shipping it to the, to the app stores or wherever you're re releasing your apps. So what is a typical workflow then? It really depends. If you're a hobby developer, uh, and if you're a like a software development uh, company, for example, then <clears throat> if your clients uh, specifically are on a tight budget and don't want you to do a lot of tests, then it may be different from a hobby developer who has all the time in the world uh, to make their projects perfect and test out new things. Uh, so it's hard to say, <laughs> but uh, in general, you first run your tests, then you do your uh, com compilation, uh, building the binaries, and finally you distribute them to the stores. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it seems like small teams think that big teams write tests and Big teams think that indie developers write tests. Uh, it's 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 very sad. Yeah. Um, tests help uh, obviously uh, to increase your uh, confidence, uh, of course, in releasing products. So it, it's interesting. I, I never heard that. I always heard that. Okay, indie developers don't typically write tests because. Uh, they don't care. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. No, you should, uh, you should speak with uh, uh, Felix uh, Angelo for uh, Jorge uh, Coca. I think uh, they love testing. <laughs> yeah, they... yeah, I, I saw, saw their talks. Uh, yeah. Um, and, but, um... but I, I think they were a big team. Uh, they, they worked at BMW before. Uh, yeah, but uh, I think even with uh, some side projects, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't know it for sure, but it sounds like, and I'm pretty sure that uh, even if it's a hobby project or something, uh, then uh, it's, it sounds like they really, really love testing. Um, yeah, that can be. Yeah. I also have a couple of side projects and I do write tests uh, there and it's, I, I actually just... Uh, I can say that it really helps 
mm-hmm. to build uh, confidently. And then again, like for side projects, it it's quite useful that maybe you you don't work on that project for a month and then uh, you you can't remember everything. So that's why it's very nice to have automated tests and then just make sure that you didn't break anything um, mm-hmm. that you don't remember, like you don't remember some edge cases. But if you write tests for that, then it's going to be covered uh, uh, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even if you think about this, um, people often ask us, uh, what is the best way to improve our build speeds? But uh, obviously, this is a clear area where people can improve. And there's a whole different, a whole lot of things that you can do. But uh, sometimes it's also a good idea to ask yourself, what is uh, uh, what are some of the things I can do to improve our, my uh, release cycles? How fast we ship features in general? Or uh, testing is a big part of that, I think, that from development side. That um, the faster you get feedback to your development practice, the faster you're gonna release features, and the more actionable that feedback is, the better. If you have some robust tests in place to test your business logic, at least, then uh, I th- I, I'm going to say that uh, it, it makes things a lot easier because it's usually those annoying things that keep that are the bottlenecks uh, that you just don't know how to fix or you don't know how it ended up there. I agree. I also, when I build my like pipeline or workflow, uh, I also try to make it in a way that workflow fails as quickly as possible. So mm-hmm. like linting, it, it all, only takes a couple of seconds to run the linting. But if someone didn't format the code correctly uh, then or uh, left some analyzer errors, then I want it to fail as quickly as possible. Of course, uh, we, we could also set up like uh, Git hooks to make sure that most people run at least the lanes or the analyzer with the tests as well. Uh, I think it's it really helps to basically fail the build quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. If and what other strategies uh, can you recommend to for quick for a quick build process? So are there? So you mentioned okay, run tests mm-hmm. and uh, basically make sure that. For like the build process is very long, um, usually. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's the longest. Uh, but if you can run the tests before and you have good test coverage, um, you can basically ensure that the builds that you do are uh, correct, uh, mm-hmm. like behave correctly. Uh, are there any uh, strategies or uh, gotchas for um, for a quick build process or pipeline? Uh, well, one thing that I am excited about is that uh, flood, usually it's iOS builds that take the longest, and uh, there is a good reason for it, uh, and that's because how Xcode compiles your binary, uh, then in most cases people use pods uh, or Cocoa pods, and uh, files that you get are uh, these. It's essentially source code that needs to be compiled into the dependency that can be used in the in the application and in on android this is not the case you 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 can use um, uh, pre-compiled dependencies as jars or these aar files 
and this is a big reason why uh, iOS builds are slower. In many cases, when you're coming from Android into Flutter, for example, and you discover that adding Firebase makes your builds really long, and your first thing people do is they point the finger at the CI, saying that it's really slow. <laughs> um, but uh, there, there is a good reason for it. CI builds are always going to be slower than your local computer uh, because CI is a clean uh, virtual machine uh, that gets booted up uh, when your job starts. And uh, the disk that we have on the base image, uh, this is one thing that is unique about us, is that we have a lot of the uh, tools available uh, in order to build your Flutter application. And you can control these, this environment, which means that you do not have to install those tools as part of your build scripts, which is just a, another way of saying that we're focused on mobile development and uh, we're good for when you're building mobile apps. I wanted to ask, uh, so you mentioned that builds can be slower because we start with a clean state. Can we improve? So... What, what's your uh, experience with caching? Uh, does that Im Can caching improve that case? And also in general, uh, like what, how effective is caching? Uh, yeah. Caching is a good way to improve your build speeds. And this is widely used. And that's the, the, it, it is very, very good. Then caching can be used to improve build speeds, but what you can also use caching for is to preserve some state, for example. The state is in the cache, and then you write, overwrite this with some custom logic that you've built yourself. But uh, is, is caching good or bad? And when is it good? When is it bad? Caching is good when you have... Uh, a good example is actually React Native. In React Native, you have a lot of um, JavaScript dependencies. And these can be quite big and heavy. So it it's a good idea to have your dependencies that are already compiled in the cache and then uh, reuse them in the next build. And this gives you, the, you this saves you time on both building uh, or compiling these dependencies, but also uh, gives you more stability uh, on your builds because you don't have to download them from the internet, so you depend less on networking. With Flutter, it is also the case. It can significantly improve your build times if you have uh, some cache present. But what is the kind of downside or what's the danger of doing this? When you cache your dependencies, then they're cached to... The dependencies, for example, don't know when... Uh, they won't update when the SDK updates. Say, for example, that you cache your... Uh, your Flutter builds uh, and the dependencies there and then there is a new Flutter version, then there is a good chance that uh, builds will fail if there are some breaking changes in the new version. Debugging can become uh, complicated when you see that, you know, you okay, I have this pipeline set up and uh, it, it built that same commit one day ago, but now it's not building. I haven't done anything differently. What's wrong? When you have cache and your build starts suddenly failing and you can't explain why, a really good idea is to disable the cache and uh, or 
delete the cache and then do it again. Yeah. But um, and one other thing to consider is that uh, on the one hand you have these compilation times that you're saving on, and the second thing is that uh, cache is just uh, something you have in the local storage or not local storage but local network. So speed win is from downloading things from the internet, even though the, our internet speeds are really good. But uh, the sacrifice that you're making is that in order to use caching, you have to create the cache and upload the cache uh, at the end of every build. And then you have to download the cache at the beginning of every build. So if you're not caching something significant, um, then there's a good chance that cache might actually increase your build time. I think you also mentioned uh, like the pains of dependencies and Flutter upgrades. And I, I just wanted to mention that it was also quite nice uh, when uh, working with CodeMagic that I could just change the between Flutter channels, select different versions of, I think, Flutter, Xcode, and also CocoaPods. And I think it's so useful that it's so easy to change uh, because I, I had a couple of times this uh, strange to uh, resolve bugs. Um, and the, the problem was that CocoaPods was I needed to use a fixed version of CocoaPods uh, at least for a couple of weeks. I think it was some build tool, uh, like a build value tool. Uh, it's a Flutter package. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think that's that's quite nice uh, to be able to pick the versions because you don't want to... So maybe there is a new stable version with Flutter, but maybe your team is not yet ready to upgrade and you don't want the break to build only because there is a new stable version. Maybe you want to take your time to upgrade uh, fl your Flutter version and be like between the new release and between you decide to migrate, then you still want to release your application. So yeah, I think that that was quite nice. And this is good for package maintainers as well that uh, if you have a package that you're maintaining uh, and uh, you have a workflow that builds on, for example, um, when a new stable version is released uh, or when a not stable, but let's say a new dev ver version or, or a beta version, depending on what you want your package to support, then getting a heads up about it is that, uh, hey, uh, Flutter is introducing potentially breaking changes. It kind of allows you to be uh, um, aware of uh, what are some of the things that uh, your new uh, package version should uh, support. I also wanted to ask about the build machines. Uh, what kind of like hardware can we run our builds on? Uh, because I think that's basically also another way of increasing like the speed of your build process. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the build machines is actually the fastest way of increasing your build speeds. When your build speeds start to go get longer, then the fastest way to increase them uh, or speed, speed up your pipeline is to just change the hardware, is to use faster machines. It is also, uh, it also costs money. Uh, so if you want to use faster instance types, then you have to pay more as well. But uh, the machines that we have available currently are three. 
uh, we have uh, the Mac Minis, and then we have the Mac Pros, and we have uh, the new M1 Minis as well. Uh, the M1 Minis are currently available uh, as this kind of a special thing. We can talk about that uh, in a bit if you want, but um, uh, it's not available for, for the public. It's just for some uh, bigger companies because uh, doing CI with the M1 Minis is, is expensive at the moment. Okay, okay. Uh, so you bought, but you got a bunch of uh, M1 Minis, uh, I think they are called the new Mac. Mm -hmm. And it, but is it going to be available generally later? Or you are not yeah. sure yet? I'm, I'm pretty sure that it is uh, going to be available. The problem is that uh, because the M1 Minis are have ARM uh, run on our ARM code, basically the the processors, uh, then uh, the virtualization technology uh, that uh, can support the uh, hypervisor, for example, or uh, this 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 is not available yet. <laughs> so you can. Uh, you can have the bare metal uh, there and you can execute jobs on the machine. That's fine. Problem is, how do you boot up virtual machines from them? And if you have, um, so then you have the first problem is that this M1 Mini has eight cores. And um, yeah, it, it, it gets a bit complicated, but the uh, long story short is that if you want to do uh, CI today on the M1 Minis, then uh, because you can only have uh, one job running on the one host right right now, uh, and uh, you can't have VMs to quickly and nicely wipe the machine, but you have to you have customers code there, uh, then uh, it, it's going to be more expensive okay. uh, to use them. But they're they're supposed to be a lot faster. Okay. So and then and then then we have uh, Linux machines coming available uh, in a month uh, as well. I hope. What are the platforms that we can use CodeMagic to build for? So I assume if we select a Linux instance in the future, uh, then we can we, uh, for example, build for macOS or iOS? We can't, right? Uh, yes, on Linux you cannot build uh, for iOS. The only thing you need the Mac OS for is using Xcode uh, to compile the, uh, I, the IPA binary. All other tasks you can use any soft, any operating system you want. Um, so uploading to the stores or stuff like that, uh, uh, you, you can use anything. But uh, Xcode is locked to Mac OS, and this is necessary to build I, iOS apps. Um, Currently, we support Linux virtual, like Mac OS virtual machines, and uh, essentially Linux as well because we have Docker installed on the Mac OS. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, and then uh, we'll also have Linux VMs available separately, and most likely going to be a lot cheaper than Mac OS. I hope at least. We haven't picked the instance types yet. I have. We have to run some tests. Okay. But. Um, uh, but yeah, the, currently you can build uh, iOS, Android, uh, Linux, uh, desktop applications, 
macOS desktop applications, the only thing you can build is Windows. Uh, and this is because we don't have Windows virtual machines uh, available today. And um, some people have asked us about them, but currently we don't see enough demand for it to uh, say that, okay, this is the most important thing that we have to do today. Yeah. There's, yeah. I, I understand uh, it uh, yeah. because <laughs> I, I think like Windows, like Flutter on Windows is still in its early days. Uh, and I don't know how many like production apps are, like how many apps are in production on Windows? I assume not too many. Yeah, it, it always starts small and then explodes. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm not, uh, I, I, I'm not familiar with uh, uh, how many there are exactly, but uh, definitely some. So all platforms, almost all platforms are covered, and you have Mac and soon Linux. Is that Okay. Yeah. I also just wanted to mention that, like, as I mentioned, I didn't know that Docker was on, on the machines uh, installed, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I had to write, so I had to customize our build to basically upload some things to AWS and uh, GCP. And it was so nice that, so I, I already started Googling, uh, okay, how do I install these tools? Uh, on the command line and how do I make sure everything works? And I didn't have to because everything was already uh, installed. I could just take my short script, copied everything to the right places. And it was, uh, it was such a nice surprise, I assume. Uh, for some people, it's also a nice surprise that Docker is installed uh, on the Macs as well. So that's nice. How did you discover that uh, tools were installed? I basically triggered the the build, uh, and I added the shell script to the build. And okay. in parallel, I started to check: okay, how do I install um, from the command? How do I install these tools from the command line? I mean, okay. it's not not too complicated, but um, like locally, you do it once. I don't know, like. Once when you join a company, uh, you install these things. So I had to Google that. And by the time I found that, uh, the build already passed that phase. And then I saw, okay, ah, it, it actually has these. Uh... <laughs> ah, right. So you already had something working locally yeah, and then yeah. you reproduced it in CodeMagic. And then you remembered like, oh, crap. Maybe I need to find how to put the CLI yeah, tools yeah, to make sure exactly. that they're on yeah. the machine. So we, I think some of our uh, clients or some of our uh, users asked for uh, like a APK download option. We did is basically we had a bucket on GCP and we copied there the APKs. And so, I mean, it, it was only asked by a couple of users. We, we did support that. What was wrong that I first I run it locally, then obviously sometimes I forget to run those commands, and then every second APK was missing. We also released uh, this uh, builds dashboard because uh, one of our customers, uh, TaskRabbit, for example, was saying like that they would really like um, something to have like a link that they can share with their testers 
And then I checked with some other customers and they also had similar requests where they want link, uh, like a static link that they can share with uh, maybe uh, customers uh, as well, that uh, they can get the latest binaries always from one place, maybe bookmark it or put it in a contract or, or something like this. And um, and the, the, this is a good example of why this uh, we created this builds dashboard where teams can filter based on, uh, let's say, um, uh, you want only your uh, production builds uh, to be available uh, for uh, the customers uh, or your pre-releases or something like this. Uh, and if you have some release notes there as well, and it's always the static link, then customers can easily access it. Ah, okay. What do you mean exactly by the uh, release dashboard? Um... Is that like a new feature or? Yeah, we released it recently. It's uh, available for teams only though. Um, if you go to the builds page, then we added new uh, filters uh, to the builds so, so that you can filter based on um, workflow, app, uh, branch, for example. And um, if, you, if you set those filters in place, then you can create a static link uh, that you can share uh, with people and uh, then they can get to that same dashboard where they have the builds available. Ah, that's nice. Okay. Uh, actually, I didn't work in December and January and I'm going to join a new company in February. So maybe that's why I missed this, uh, but it, it sounds nice. <laughs> Good stuff. Where are you joining? So I live in Munich and I'm going to, so I work, used to work at a small startup company and now I'm switch, joining a, a bigger team. Uh, it's called MediaMart Saturn. Uh, really excited. Uh, Good stuff. Yeah. I also wanted to quickly uh, just ask about the, like the pricing, because we talked about big teams, uh, small teams, startup teams, hobby users. Could you explain what your, what your model is and what, what's the pricing? The idea behind pricing is that if you're an indie developer or you're building a hobby project, code magic should be free because you're not earning money from it. Same goes for open source. If you're contributing to the community in one way or another that is open and uh, that uh, is for educational purposes, for example, if you're a teacher or in a university, uh, then uh, we want to support that. So who pays? We try to do our pricing in such a way that uh, we ask money for professional use. In our opinion, what we found was kind of a reasonable was that uh, 500 uh, build minutes, which can be about 10 or 20 builds. So if you're working over the weekends or in the evenings, it should be fine. 500 build minutes is free for uh, on your personal account. And when you are uh, in a team, a professional, then we charge based on the development team size. So by the commit authors uh, in the repository uh, in any one month. And also by the number of minutes that uh, you use our servers for. Uh, so based on two things. So when you're a small team, uh, you don't pay as much as bigger teams because bigger teams have bigger team sizes. Okay, okay. For example, if I have an open source project, 
then do I need to contact someone or do, do you just automatically check if the repository is public or how does that work? If you have an open source project that you'd like some support, then the first thing I would try to do is to use the free tier and see if that is enough, <laughs> if it is not enough, uh, the, or you want to, or you know that it's not, not going to be enough, like you have some big project, then we have a contact us page uh, and you can reach out to us. Uh, either info at codemagic.io or from the contact form. And so far, we've we've supported some uh, open source projects. Okay, that's right. So the free tier is, you mentioned 500 minutes? Correct. Yeah, then it's probably enough for most uh, like indie or like hobby projects, because even if you have like a very slow build, probably it's like 40 minutes then mm -hmm. it's still like 10 builds uh but like probably you can i mean it depends on how fast your build is but you can you can even make it yeah. faster than it's yeah you know for the idea is you you should be able to release every other day almost like or yeah. once every every three days or so yeah okay okay Awesome. I want, wanted to ask about React as well, uh, because I saw that you are now supporting React. Is that correct? Uh, React Native, uh, I think. React Native, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, it's a lot to do with the branding and marketing message. What is important is that uh, when we were doing only Flutter applications, we discovered that a lot of uh, companies don't just build Flutter apps, they build other apps as well. <laughs> and uh, it is very limiting for them to start using a tool. Uh, or even if you're an indie developer, you have one app in Flutter and another app in another language. So it's very limiting for them to choose only a provider that has Flutter. Uh, if it's a hobby project, if it's something that, or you know that you have only one product, then it's okay. But uh, it's important that uh, there is more flexibility from this uh, CI provider, which is why we, for that reason and some many other reasons, we created uh, this configuration as code. And um, if you configure your pipelines as code uh, in the some YAML format, then uh, you can run any build command you want. And this is what support for other platforms means. For React Native, for example, so instead of instead of configuring it from the UI like you can do with other applications, you have the ability to only configure it in the code. So we give you a, a sample workflow what the, your pipeline could look like. Um, so in React Native, you have this npm install step, for example, instead of pop get and stuff like that. Uh, and the rest is the same. I mean, the only real thing that's different is the producing the binary. You use different build commands. Um, and when you get more complicated, then testing is different as well. But this okay. is, but that's only because you use different tools for that. Uh, but uh, in reality, yes, the, what the, the support for other platforms means is that they can write their own build commands their own build scripts. Okay, awesome. Yeah, then I think it's time to time to wrap things up.
I would like to thank you for being here. Uh, I think it was a, hopefully it will be a very useful conversation for our listeners. It was certainly very uh, interesting for me. And again, just thank you for being here. This is actually the first recording of uh, the Flutter 101 podcast. So I was a bit ner nervous, but I hopefully uh, if I don't mess anything up, we will not lose the recordings. That's my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no, you did really good. Uh, I, 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 I had fun as well. I felt like I kept rambling at one point or another, but uh, hopefully uh, it is usable audio. <laughs> thank yeah. you again for joining it was fun to record and i think that's it sounds good thanks vince thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did please do me a favor and recommend the episode to your friends both online and in-person recommendations are appreciated so share either on social platforms such as twitter and linkedin or just mention the podcast to your co-workers and software developer friends. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss the next episode. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also listen to the podcast directly from your web browser on flutter101.dev, that is flutter101.dev. You will also find an RSS feed there. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. It only takes a couple of seconds and can help the podcast reach a bigger audience. Have a great day and see you next time.